Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today we have a three-time B2B CMO, Jamie Geyer. Now, Jamie is currently the CMO at DexCare. Uh, Jamie, you're also a participant in a large CMO community online. So I think you've got lots of insights to share with us today, but maybe start out by just giving us a little bit more on who you are, your background, and what you're doing at DexCare right now. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on your podcast today, Steve. I'm really excited to be here. Um, as you mentioned, my three-time CMO for B2B companies, mostly in the health tech industry, but I did veer off and went into ed tech for a bit and MarTech as well, where I had the chance to market to people like you and me. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I've been doing this for about 25 plus years now. And, you know, I kind of grew up through the ranks before digital was even a thing. Content was important, but the means in which you could get content out was very different than it is today. Um, but I've always been kind of a full funnel marketer from brand strategy, uh, product marketing, demand gen, now digital marketing, customer marketing. So governance over uh, all of those different areas. Well, and there's a lot that a CMO has to do these days, right? But we're going to try to prioritize a little bit in terms of, you know, what the major emphasis and focus really is. And the subject matter here is why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly? And unfortunately, we do. <laughs> we fail at literally twice the rate of CEOs, uh, the shortest tenure on the whole uh, C-suite. So with that, you and I have been talking for a little while leading up to this. And you had mentioned that one of the biggest reasons that you think that that happens, because there can be a number, is the degree of difficulty in creating the brand, creating the reputation, right, filling the gaps in terms of all of the content that's needed in order to accomplish that. Tell us in just your words a little bit, kind of, you know, with your tenure, where you're at here and what you've been able to accomplish. Why do you think that that's the case? Why do you think it's so difficult to create that brand and that content on a regular basis? Well, I think it's difficult because in many B2B types of, of industries, you have very elongated sales processes. And it's not just a buyer, you have multiple people. Now, I happen to be in an industry, healthcare tech, where the sales cycle can be anywhere between 12 to 18 months. You have a buying committee made up of eight to 10 different individuals who are all going to have a different opinion. They have different jobs to be done. And so you're trying to bring them along on this whole journey and influence them to see the value in what you're providing. And that takes time, but it takes a lot of different types of content to educate these buyers, to convince them that you're a good solution for a problem that they may or may not have identified for their organization and then to convince them that you're the partner to solve that. And that is a very long process to be able to do now. And that's also in a landscape where you have hundreds of other uh, technology vendors that are going after the exact same audience. And in large part, they might have a very similar message. And so there's market confusion, message confusion, and you're simply trying to navigate through that. And so your content strategy is much more complicated. And it has to work harder in building the brand, but also uh, creating the demand that you want for your products. 
So this is what uniquely differentiates us from B2C marketers. Now we may have some similar challenges, um, but I would largely say much of the purchasing in a B2C environment is transactional in nature. In these B2B environments, because the sales cycle is so long, you have to work harder at, at bringing people along. You know, and that sales cycle is so important, right? Because in an ABM world, there's, you know, 20, 30, maybe even more. I'm talking to CMOs that are saying we're having 70, 80 different touches, right? Across from the, the first touch point to a closed deal. That's intense. And I, I literally just interviewed a couple of weeks ago a CMO and, and I said, Patrick, you've 10 times now you've told me we need to be able to empower the sales team to continue that conversation without just selling, 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 right? So we have to give them something that's adding value. Now, when you say, okay, we got to give something that's adding value in a world like you're saying, where there's content proliferation, right? I mean, everybody has a content team. Everybody's focused on content these days and trying to get high value content. So the bar is very, very high. And I think that ties back then to your point on why the B2B CMOs fail so much. The bar to create ongoing high quality content that is worthy of our buyers spending their time consuming, right? That's difficult. That's not an easy task to do. Oh, and, and it requires patience. Yes. It takes time. It takes time in a long sales cycle to build a brand, get the brand to become known, to educate buyers, especially in your category of product, and to get them to want to pick up the phone and call you. So I think on the, why do B2B CMOs fail so often? Uh, and I don't think it's just B2B CMOs. I think it's B2C as well, but in our space, um, particularly it takes time to do all of those things. And so from that standpoint, it's not just about the quarter you, you have 12 months that you're trying to do this. And that requires a lot of patience. And if you don't set the expectations that this is the long view, that it takes time to do all of those things, you're going to fail in the eyes of the people who had the wrong expectations about what marketing can do. We could always live in the quarter and develop campaigns specific to the quarter, but the hard work is the patience to build the brand, to get people to know who you are and to bring them along. And that's not a, a quarter by quarter play. No, when you're when you're talking about setting those expectations, you're talking about with your CEO, your CRO, right? It's very, That's very right. Yeah, it very sales centric, lots of time points of view, right? I mean, CROs, they've got quotas hanging over their head, CEOs, they need to be showing performance. As CMOs, we need to be revenue-minded as well. But there's some things they're gonna take time to build, is your point. And but at the on the flip side of that. If we can be developing that war chest as we go along, we know that there's going to be this mountain of content that we're going to create. And I want to talk to you about what your point of view on that mountain is. But you talk about getting the friction points down first, right? The things in the sales process that we know are the highest priority places mm -hmm. where deals are having friction in that ABM process. Tell us a little bit about that because as you're building the brand, right, you're being very tactical and very surgical in terms of how you're starting to create that content. That's correct. And I think um, because most people are not patient <laughs> and you want to, 
especially CMOs, new CMOs to a company. I've been with DexCare for about eight months. You want to get some points on the board. And so we're doing, we're doing things in parallel. One, we are looking at where are the friction points in the sales process today and how can content play a role in removing the friction points? And a lot of the times it's simply around educational kind of content. It's also case studies. And so we're going after immediate wins as we're building the content strategy for full funnel, starting at the very top based on people who have little awareness of who you are, but that's your future pipeline. So you have to start thinking about that today, but we're doing it in parallel. We've, we've worked with our sales team to really understand where are buyers getting stuck? Where are they not understanding what we do and how can we make it more prescriptive in the value that we provide? So we're going after that content initially as we build the plane for the, the future content that engages all accounts, all personas at different st stages of the pipeline, even those that are not yet an opportunity. And so we're doing things in tandem. And I think that that's the right way to go because you do want to show that you can have value in the quarter while you're building a bigger engine uh, to automate some of these things, but also to start building pipeline, not just tackle the pipeline that's in play today. So we've, we've kind of already dive deep into this area of content and, and its importance to the sales process, the friction points, but the overall uh, brand. And it's just, you know, salespeople, you know, we don't want to be perceived, they don't want to be perceived as, as selling, constantly selling, right? And buyers don't want to be sold to, they want to be advised, right? So it's really important what we're talking about here. So I'm going to take a step back for just a second. And I'm mm -hmm. going to ask you, a question just in terms of your thought, 25 years in the business, three-time B2B CMO, working with sales teams, CROs, CEOs constantly. If I was just going to have you put the importance of content on a scale one to 10, right? Where one, it's not important at all. 10, it's vital to the overall growth and success of the business. On that scale of one to 10, where would you put content? Uh, I would put it definitely at 10, at and 10, why? because, because the sales cycle is so long and you have so many people, different personas, different buyer types that you're trying to engage with, convince, convert all of those things. And content is really key. Now it doesn't have to be a long form content. There's going to be different content, content types. It could be your paid media assets that you're creating. It could be that ebook, it could be a case study, but the way in which people consume information, you have to adapt to that and the types of, of information. The other piece to that is you don't use content to sell, you use content to educate because that's the content that people engage with most. You're helping them think through, how do I solve a problem? How do I do my job better? And so it's not about selling your product. It's about selling the value of something that you can provide and a way of doing something. And that takes time, but that's really, really important. Now, that's not to say, Steve, that it's just about content. I know in my industry, it's about relationships and building trust. Content is one way to build trust, mm -hmm. but it's you being the trusted advisor, but the relationship aspect is really important too, which is why we put equal weight even on our personal relationships with our customers, being visible where they are, including events and trade shows, that is a big channel for us. 
and simply showing up where they are and, and being at the table with them as they're talking about problems and solutions. So there's a content play, but there's also a non-content play. But to your for, to your original question, definitely a 10. Definitely a 10. Yeah, I've had so many. I mean, I've, I've asked that question a lot because I ask it on every podcast episode. And I'm getting 10, 11, 12, 15, 25 on the scale of one to 10. Yeah. Um, well, I think but, but think Melissa, about this. Gave it a 25. Oh, I'm sure she did. I, you know, <laughs> look, we spend a lot of time standing up the channels in the engine that allows us to reach our buyers. It's very expensive to do that. So we can have a great strategy for our multi-channel approach to engagement and buyer conversion, but you have to feed those channels. And if you don't feed it with the right things, which is largely content, you're not going to get any performance out of those challenge, those, those channels, which is why I put it at a 10, but you know, like Melissa, I'd put it at a 15. If you gave me that range, maybe I should have just done that <laughs> and been, you know, the contrarian there, but in any case, it's important, especially because you've you've got to stay and remain visible and you have to bring people along and you're educating buyers. And again, in my industry in particular, we're having to educate in a new category, but also sift through all of the different types of information that they're receiving from different vendors. And that's not always an easy thing to do when you're trying to show what you do within the context of the marketplace and the category and, and the problems that they're looking to solve. And maybe, you know, characterize for us, because you're, you talked earlier, uh, before we started recording here about, you know, numbers of I, ICPs that you have, number of vertical markets you have, and this creates this matrix, right? Tell me a little bit about that matrix, how big that matrix is. It might be a little bit of kind of therapy for everybody that's listening here, right? That's grappling with this enormous task of not just creating content, but creating really high value content. And you're right, content that isn't just saying the same thing that right. everybody else is saying, right? You need to have a unique voice, a unique point of view, right? That is still high quality advisor, consultant class. You know, that's difficult to do. And the last part before you answer here is most companies don't have all the subject matter expertise within to be an industry voice, an advisor, right? I mean, we're, we're, we tend to be subject matter experts of what, what we do, our technologies, right? Our products, our services. We're really good about talking about that. So now you're talking about enormous amount of content at a very high level that has an industry perspective and a point of view on it. How does one get that accomplished? <laughs> a lot of coordination. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's difficult and we don't have it all figured out either. I mean, we're still building our content strategy. We're still, you know, trying to figure out how do we quickly have points of view and get them into a form that we can easily deliver to our buyers and to our customers. Um, it, it's the long game really. And so, uh, let me just, describe my my industry again, because I think that will shed some light on the complexities around it. So we're only in one vertical. We're in, we're in healthcare. We sell to large hospitals and health systems. So there's probably 900 of them in the country. Okay. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there's not independent physician practices and, and community hospitals within those markets. But for all intents and purposes, when you think of a large health system and a large 
uh, hospital. There's about 900 of them, but you are selling to different departments within those health systems that have different C-suite leaders and teams underneath them. And they're all involved in the decision-making process, but for different reasons, they're trying to do different things in their departments that at the end of the day, simply provide better care, more effectively, more efficiently. But the messaging to each of those departments is nuanced. And it's very important that you message to the jobs that they have to do. Because again, they're getting hit up by hundreds of vendors, the same buyers, like they probably each each buyer probably gets 300 emails a day. So you're trying to navigate through all of that noise. Um, the educational aspect of our content is really important. And it's not just our voice. Our highest performing content is our customer content. It's the voices of our customers who are speaking to the change that they're driving within their organizations, how they're going about it, and the, the technology or the processes or the people that they've they've brought into their organizations to help solve and get better outcomes. That's our highest performing content because we are a peer-to-peer selling industry. Our greatest sales team is our customer base because it's peer-to-peer, it's referral-based. And so a lot of our content, our educational content is simply capturing the voices of our customers and putting it out there into the universe, whether it's on LinkedIn or through some of our paid uh, that is our highest performing content. I would guess that most marketers are going to say that anyways, um, but it is certainly true for ours and we have the numbers behind it. Because content is so important to us, Steve, um, I know sometimes marketers are faced with, do I bring those capabilities in-house? Do I outsource it? I'm actually doing both. So I'm bringing in a, uh, and hiring and establishing a creative team. I think enough around creativity and its importance that I want to have that close to our brand. The closest you can get a creative team to your brand is actually hiring the people who then embrace it and know how to build it. But there's enough content that we have to create that we want to work outside with agencies as well that can make it more turnkey, but also so we can get out to market faster with content. But also it's nice to have um, a lot of different viewpoints on what's going to be the best strategy for content creation and the stories that we want to tell. So I'm I'm actually doing both because there's there's enough value placed on it and enough work to be done there that we we need to have that engine. 100% humming. Well, you know, something that you said just about a minute ago, I mean, it's all important, but what you said a minute ago was this idea of the highest performing content is that from your customers because they are the peers, right? And so we all want to know in our jobs, what are our peers doing, right? What are they doing that's helping them succeed? How are they addressing the risk factors, the friction, right? The things that are going to help them in their jobs and their careers. And What that does at the same time is if you're using your content to aggregate that voice of the community in a way that validates your company's unique POV point of view on the marketplace, to your point earlier, where you can't just be saying the same things all the time, right? So you're saying something that's unique, right? And if this peer community is helping validate that, because you as the company, we're the sellers, right? So no matter what, we can't change who we are, right? So if we can have that community validating what we're saying, 
A, it lends to our authenticity, our trust factor, mm -hmm. our brand, our expertise, all of those things, right? So what you're talking about is brilliant because it's it's actually bringing together the voice behind your voice, right? The voice of the community behind your voice and, and what you're saying. Um, so that to me is one of the most important things. And I know you accentuated case studies, right? Is a big, big part of that. Um, but there's a number of different ways that you can bring in that voice, right? And, and help break through that clutter. Tell me a little bit about, you know, as you're developing all of this content and you're you're kind of, how are you articulating this to your CEO, to your CRO in terms of your content strategy and building over the long-term, starting, but, you know, all the things that we've been talking about here, what's the most, since the theme on this particular episode is how do we not lose our jobs, right? <laughs> right. How are you articulating this to the CRO, CEO of the company so that they're on the same game plan as you are and are patient and are willing to let you do the job the way that you think is the right way to do it? Yeah, there's a couple of things. But before I get to that, let me just close out on something that you said previously. The customer voice should actually be out ahead of yours. And not following, which is what we're, which is what we're trying to do. So that's where we're, you know, our customers become the referral. The second is it's simply a case of show, don't tell. And our customers are best positioned to actually show a solution as opposed to us telling a solution. And so that's the most impactful. That's why they're your greatest voice and the greatest way to amplify your message, but they should be out ahead because they're the ones doing the hard work. We're, we're supporting them with right. what we offer, but they're, they're having to implement massive change within their own organizations. And so they're the best ones to speak on it. We're simply there to help support and, uh, and make sure that, that they have a, a, a stage and a microphone essentially. Now, going back to this question, like how do you bring along your CEO and your CRO? Uh, I think first off, as I mentioned earlier, it is working with your CRO on where are the friction points today? Let's just get some points on the board. So if they have a problem that is preventing existing pipeline that is going to impact our numbers this year, how do we simply work together to start building content that's going to make a difference this year? The other piece of that then is they know that we're building future pipelines. So as I've told my CEO and CRO several times, even though we're just in September, and I actually said this back in July, I'm already thinking of 2024 pipeline. And so that takes time because we're doing the heavy lifting on the brand building. That's what takes time. But the SDRs and our regional sales directors are going to be much more efficient if we're helping to open up the door simply by making sure that our brand is recognizable by the time that they're going to do their prospecting and their outreach. And so when that time comes, it's going to be easier for them, which is going to reduce cycle time. It's going to reduce the number of times that they have to actually outreach because our brand's going to be already familiar to the buyer. So it's going to make it easier for them to get in if we've done our jobs right. And so the way that I sell it simply uh, is what could we do today to remove some friction, to keep deals moving that are in pipeline. And here's what we're doing to build pipeline for next year, because today's brand is tomorrow's demand. And when I explain it and it's not lost on them, we've all been in this industry. It's not lost on anyone. 
the length of the time and how many people are involved and having the right message. The message to the chief financial officer is going to be very different than the message to the chief digital officer. And we have to have a way in order to, to communicate and build that message across different formats and different channels. They understand that. And so I, it's, it's dual, but I can't do the long view without getting points in the short term. And so it's that parallel path. And I think any marketer should be looking at it from that perspective, because that's where you're going to start building trust with your CRO. That's where you're going to start building trust with your CEO as you're building for the long term. But you've got to you've got to get those early wins and know what those early wins are going to be. But it has to be an agreement with your CRO. So I'm off to the side, by the way, writing down, you've got some really good one liners here. Like today's brand is tomorrow's demand. Um, I love that. I love that thinking, right? Because you do have to have those early wins because you, or you're never going to make it to the long term, right? Uh, That's right. But you have to have a very simple way to think about brand is just not a some lofty thing, right? There's actually studies that have shown that it's actually as important what companies think about you as it is what you do as a company, right? Because Nobody puts you onto the short list if they don't know you, right? And that's what you're talking about at the end there, right? There's 97% of the market. For most companies, they don't know who you are. Or they don't know enough to even articulate who you are, right? So if who you are is a recognized expert in the industry, right? That's what's going to get them to listen to you before they even know what it is that you do. And I think that's the point of that study. So tying in like today's brand is tomorrow's demand. That's what that means to me in a lot of respects. Absolutely. That's what it means. And yeah. look, uh, we could just model our own behavior as buyers of different types of products. I'm more inclined to open up an email or pay attention to an ad of a brand that I know in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so that is just, that's our behavior as consumers. And in B2B, it's especially true. Our emails will be opened. Our content will be read. Yes, the message has to be important, but if they're more familiar with their with your brand, you're going to be the one of the 250 emails that they're going to open. And it's building that trust. And if my content is really good, that's getting delivered, they're going to want more. So then it just has this downstream impact as well, because they know what to expect from us. And that, you know, that takes a lot of strategy and pre-planning and thinking about the sequencing and what you're going to deliver. But it's always around education because it's a value exchange with your buyers or whomever is your audience. And so the more that you can build that into your content strategy, the more effective your campaigns are and their performance. Um, I was listening to, uh, there was a conference uh, that happened last week. Some might can guess what it is, but they had this amazing session where they were talking about brand marketing. And because it is that thing that's really hard to defend because it may not be as tangible, but we got, as, as an industry, we've now latched on this whole performance marketing. Well, now they're saying, well, it's got to be performance branding. 
And I love that because it mm-hmm. kind of has the same meaning, which is these things have to work to ultimately build pipeline and generate revenue for your organization. Right. And so I like the idea of performance brand because it does then legitimize the importance of brand to doing those exact things. So Jamie, we we have covered already a lot of territory here. If If there was one takeaway that you wanted the audience to have from our conversation here, one thing that you wanted them to remember above all else, what would that be? Well, because your your podcast is focused on CMOs who fail <laughs> and why they <laughs> and why they fail, I'll I'll land on this one. Um, you have to get the early wins as you build the engine for the future. You have to do both because what you're essentially doing is setting expectations and you're building trust with those that you serve in the organization. And that's really important because I think the the chief marketing officer role is probably one of the most misunderstood if those expectations are not set in advance because there's different meanings for what CMOs do. And so if you can set those expectations, but also get the early wins, because that's going to build the trust that's going to build the relationships with all of your stakeholders as you're going off and building the long-term engine that marketing should be focused on. Because again, today's brand is tomorrow's demand and you've got to have both in play and it's a lot of work, but those early wins are key. Yep. That's going to, that's going to get you to the point where you can actually have the time to do what you know you need to do overall. Jamie, if, if, People had follow-up questions here. Would sending, putting up on the podcast a link to you on LinkedIn, would that be the best way to have That would be the best best places on LinkedIn. I'm very active in that community. That's where a lot of my fellow CMOs and marketing execs are. So yes, best place to reach me. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on and giving us all kinds of not only one-liners to help us remember what we need to do, but just an overall plan of attack in terms of how do we do the right things? That's the bottom line. How do you keep your job is you, you do the things that are going to be the right for the company and the customer first and foremost, right? And then everything else takes care of itself. That's correct. All right. Well, thank you. And we hope maybe have you back on in the future. Thank you so much, Steve. I enjoyed being here.